morning, everybody. How's it going? You guys excited to be in church? Amen. Me too. I love Sundays. Uh, I always look forward to church on Sunday. In my house, we call Sunday Sunday Fun Day because we get to have a lot of fun on Sundays. And, and I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, in, we are in week three of this message series, Letters to Leaders. And I'm really uh, just excited about what God has, has taught me during this study and what God has for all of us to learn this morning. And I just want to say, um, I don't see Pastor Josh in here right now, but any chance I get an opportunity to stand up here, uh, be on a platform, and publicly recognize our lead pastor, here's what I want us to do. Be, I want to honor him. And when you honor someone, you stand. So I want us to just stand and honor our lead pastor, Pastor Josh, for leading us and for giving us the opportunity to learn from the Word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. For those of you who maybe don't know me, I'm Pastor Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at this amazing, amazing church. And uh, I, I introduce myself to some visitors sometimes as the slightly less hyper pastor. Um, and, and I say that with all respect, and, and Pastor Josh knows that. So, <laughs> um, But I'm really excited. I just want to also say thank you to everyone for, for coming and making this spiritual investment. Into your life. Um, I don't take it lightly. I honor you and respect you for choosing to be a part of what God's doing right here at 201 as a church body. And next week is student takeover. That's right. I said student takeover. The students are taking over our 9 a.m. service next week. And I'm seeing some students out there. And I just want to say if you've been a part of one of our student takeover services, you know exactly what you're in store for. If you haven't been a part of our student takeover service, you are in for a treat because our students are very talented and they're excited to, to serve you and to serve God's kingdom next week. It's also going to be graduation Sunday. So we're going to be honoring all of our high school seniors, college graduates, and then welcoming our fifth graders into sixth grade and joining our AC students. And I just want to say real quickly so I don't uh, tear up how proud I am of our seniors. I mean, we have some of the best seniors this year, some of the best students to really to walk the face of the earth, if you ask me. I'm a little biased, but we have some of the most incredible kids here, and I know they're going to do great things. And it's not cliche to say it. They are world changers. Amen? And they're going to go and change the world. I also want to say hello to everybody watching online and welcome in our jail campus church. Let's give it up and welcome everybody in that's watching online right now. Amen. Go ahead and pull out your message notes, and we're going to jump right in. Again, this is week three of Letters to Leaders, and we've been studying specific leaders um, and the letters written to them by the Apostle Paul. We've looked at individual understudies of the Apostle Paul, and our theme text is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the Word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. And then Paul says specifically to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, John Maxwell, you may have heard of him, he is considered America's leadership expert. And it's in his book, The 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader, he says that everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think that's true. I, I think I think everything really is, is built well based on the quality of leadership. And, and he also coined the phrase, leadership is influence. 
And that word influence is interchangeable with the word leader. So anytime you see the word leader, you could just put in there influence because leadership is influence and influence is leadership. And every single one of us has a circle of influence. If you're a mom, your influence is, is your children in, in your home. And if you're a hard worker in, in um, you know, your full-time job, your coworkers, that's your circle of influence. And it doesn't matter really where you go or what you do. You're a leader, and you are leading those around you. You're influencing them, whether it's positive or negative, negative right? You're having an uh, influence on them. And so I just want you to do this with me, just, just to get everyone involved. I just want you to tap yourself so I, I am a leader. Say it, say it with me. Say, I am a leader. I am a leader. Every single one of us is a leader. And, and today we're going to be learning from Paul's letter written to a man named Titus. And Titus is a Greek follower of Christ. He, uh, he is in a region uh, of Greece, and he, 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 he loves Jesus. He, he's starting out. It's, it seems like he's, he's kind of one of Paul's go-to guys. He's one of Paul's com- companions, and, and it, he's a trusted co-worker of Paul. And in the book of Titus, it's actually one of three pastoral letters. So the Apostle Paul writes three different letters to pastors, young pastors. There's, there's three of them, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. Titus is, is one of the, the pastoral letters written by Paul. And the whole book of Titus is all about leadership. It, it, from beginning to end, in fact, I encourage you to go home this afternoon and read it. Even if you've already read it, read it again. It's a very short letter. It's probably a letter written on one of like the short-term prison sentences that Paul served because it's a short letter, and he gets right to the point with Titus. But I encourage you to read it. It's only three chapters, but the whole thing is about leadership. It's a constant theme, and it addresses the significance of having leadership influencing culture rather than having culture influencing Christian leaders. And I think that's kind of the downfall of a lot of people who end up leaving the faith is they allow culture to, to tell them how to live rather than allowing your faith to lead and guide you. Amen? So Paul gives Titus the pastoral responsibility and the oversight of a place called Crete. It's an island. And as a matter of fact, I have a map for you. I can show you kind of an idea of where it's at. So you see here, this, these red lines, they are trade routes. Uh, in the ancient times, and you can see Crete is this island right here. So Crete is kind of right in the middle of all of these trade routes. And believe it or not, Crete is, it's an island. It, it sounds exotic. It sounds like a cool, a cool vacation destination maybe, right? But it was not a fun place to live, especially in ancient, ancient times. As a matter of fact, Crete was in desperate need for Christian influence. They needed somebody to come that would help change the culture from within. Crete needed Christian leaders. And in fact, Crete was notorious, infamous for being violent, full of treachery, and greed. This was a place where most soldiers would flee to and become mercenaries to the highest bidder. This was not a good place. This is not where you want to raise your family, right? This is not a good place, not a fun place to live let alone start a network of churches. But that's exactly what Paul decided to do. In one of his missionary journeys, he, he brings Titus, he leaves him there, and then he says, I'll send you word. And sure enough, he writes this letter to Titus. And 
in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, somebody from Crete describes the people of Crete. It says, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. And I would say to him, bro, you haven't been to Michigan yet. But no, I, I, did, I did not say that. I'm, I'm sorry, Nate. I'm so sorry. But can you imagine someone from Crete saying this about Crete? Like, this must be legit. Like, this place must not be exactly what we would consider the Bible belt of the Roman Empire. Are you tracking with me? But, but Paul, it's interesting. Paul does not see this place as opposition to the mission of spreading the gospel. Instead, he sees it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. And I think we can look at America and say, man, culture has just surrounded us. And culture and the media and, and just the direction and the trajectory of our nation just does not look bright. It looks like we're going in the wrong direction. But instead of looking at all of the negative, I think we need to learn here from the Apostle Paul and say, this is not opposition. This is opportunity. Because there's never been a time greater than now to show the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul sets Titus up and says, I'm going to send you word. And, and Paul knew that Crete was strategic in where it was located geographically. There were harbors here on the island of Crete that served cities all over the Mediterranean. So if you could spread the gospel anywhere, where would you go? You would go somewhere where people from all over the world are passing through. And this is exactly where Titus finds himself starting out and beginning uh, as a pastor. And it says, Paul's, Paul's letter here gave instruction to help Titus establish a flourishing church in a pagan culture. And that's what really, that's what the church is doing here in America. We're, we're trying to establish flourishing churches and people, healthy leaders, to go and change the culture of America from within. And that's been God's desire from the very beginning. I'd like to jump right into Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Paul writes, Titus, you are my true son in the faith we share. May grace and peace descend to you from God the Father and our Savior, the Anointed One, Jesus the reason I stationed you in Crete was so that you could set things in order and complete what was left unfinished and to raise up and appoint church elders in every city, just as I had instructed you. Now, the rest of Titus, as we'll see in a moment, Paul goes on to explain specific leadership qualities. And they're all qualities that we can develop in our everyday lives. But what's interesting to me is really everything that Paul says is actually an echo of what God has already told his people in the Old Testament. And so I want to take us to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to read through verse 7. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home. And when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Now, I love the part here where it says you must repeat these things again and again to your children. Any parents out there know you got to repeat things to your children again and again and again. I think he missed like six agains there, but he, I think they were just the Bible was getting too long. They just so you, you got to notice though the progression here. It's it's important to notice the first thing God says is, "Hey, everybody, listen up." I am God. You're not God. I am God. 
And I think it's, it's kind of funny because we, if we're honest with ourselves, we really create, the, we build our own kingdoms in our lives, and we, we sometimes can trick ourselves into thinking we are the God of our own lives. Like, look at what I built. Like, we think we own these things. We think that we worked hard for these things, and we did, but they're really not ours at all. And God's saying, look, I, I am God. You are not God. I created you. And then, and then he says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving to you. So it starts with God in relationship with us. Then he brings our family into it immediately. He says, repeat the things that I've taught you again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and on the road. Now he includes the public square. So he, he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to teach our children to be in relationship with him. And then he wants us to go into the public square, to go into our workplaces, to go into our extracurricular activities, to go into our schools, go into anywhere and everywhere. It says, while you're on the road, talk about these things. So the progression is God, you, your family, and then others. And if I could summarize this passage, I would just simply put it this way, and I kind of just wrote it, kind of a note to myself. This is God wants me to love him and commit to him, and then to teach my children to love him and to commit to him, and then live it out. Live it out in a public setting. In other words, I want to walk the walk and talk the talk. I want to be able to talk about it at home, and I want my children to see me actually living it out in the public setting. Has anyone ever seen the show Deadliest Catch? It's on the Discovery Channel. Really kind of a cool show. Uh, these fishermen fish the Bering Sea, and I watched a couple episodes, and it's really, really interesting. They go after these Alaskan king crabs. There's like seasons and stuff, and, and they catch just massive amounts of them, but it's a very dangerous job. And so it's a reality TV show, and it got me thinking and doing a little bit of research about what are some of the other really cool jobs out there that are kind of really difficult and dangerous. And I started to look at some of them, and there's, there, there's several websites that I looked at, but they're all pretty much the same. One of them, like almost all of them mention, um, mention working in the oil field. That's always kind of a really dangerous job. And uh, they all mention um, climbing cell towers. I know we've, we, I have, we have a friend, close friend of mine climbs cell towers, and they have to climb these things in all weather conditions, and it's very dangerous, very scary, and, and just make sure our texts go through, right? That's all we're worried about, but these people are really risking their lives so that we can stay communicated to each other, and, and it's amazing, these jobs out there, but I got to thinking, you know what, there's, there's two jobs in my life that I feel like are very, very hard, but they weren't on the list, and that's what Deuteronomy's talking about, being a good spouse, being a quality spouse, and being a good parent to your children. Maybe it's just me, and I don't know if other parents can relate, but those two things are very difficult. They are not easy jobs, and I think God realizes that it's not an easy job, so he sets up sort of a success plan for us and says, if you will love me and commit yourself to me and teach your children to do the same, you're going to live life to its fullest, the way that you were intended to live. And, and so I, I fail often at being a good spouse and a good parent. And, but I'll never forget holding my baby girl for the first time. Like, I remember I can go back to the room at Union Hospital where I, I couldn't wait. I was, the nurses were, you know, doing some things and, 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 you know, I'm like pacing and can I hold her now? Can I hold her now? And they're still working on her and doing some things. And then finally I get my opportunity to hold my baby girl, and I, I'm holding her in my arms, and I'm thinking, man, this is like, this is the best thing in the world. Like, could there be anything better than being a dad? 
you know? And then a, a couple of weeks go by, and you realize that this beautiful angel makes these smelly messes in their diaper. And how could a baby poo that much? Like, should we be calling the doctor? And your wife just rolls her eyes at you, and you're like thinking, what did I sign up for here, you know? And, and then it gets worse, right? Like, you love this child, but then they start embarrassing you at the mall. They start, like, you're in your yard screaming your head off, and you're like, what is wrong with me? And your, your neighbors are out, and you're just like, <laughs> and you're, you're trying to deal with your kids, right? And they're, they're embarrassing you. They're having a meltdown, and you're just like, I'm a good dad, I promise. I'm not killing them. They're fine. And, and you just, you realize, like, what did I sign up for here? Like, it's hard. It, and maybe you're not parents, right? But, but just working long hours, like, wor- paying the bills, going after every, your passions, everything you have with all of your heart, and, and it's hard work, right? But then God says, and then on top of that, I want you to love me with everything you have, all your heart, mind, and strength. And you're thinking, bro, I'm just lucky if I can wake up and find my car keys and get to work on time, <laughs> Right? I, I'm not really concerned. Like, that's, that's great. That sounds awesome. But I'm not sure I'm there yet. It, I just want to tell you today that Paul writes to Titus and explains some leadership development that each one of us, and I say development because it's not like we're born with this. We develop it over time. Amen? As Christians, we're learning every single day. As parents, we're learning every single day. And, and I, just, I, just, I just want to recognize that it's okay if you feel that tension. If you feel that tension on a regular basis, like, I'm trying to raise my family right. I'm trying to, to contribute to society. I'm trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to do everything that I'm called to do. And, and it feels like you're just, you're just treading water. I'm here to tell you what you're doing is worth it. And you're doing okay. You're doing fine. I want you to imagine, just for a moment, a pizza. Okay? A Little Caesars pizza. That's in my budget, so I'm just going to go right there. It's a Little Caesars pizza. Let's go because I know it's lunchtime, and I don't want to make you too hungry, so I started with Little Caesars, but let's go with Papa John's pizza. Maybe you don't like Little Caesars pizza. Let's go Papa John's, and whether or not you like certain pizzas, it all depends on the sauce, right? But imagine a pizza, a large pizza. It's usually like eight slices, okay? And what we do with our lives, I think, is, is we, we compartmentalize our lives. It's, it's like a human reaction. We, we put like, okay, my job is this slice. This is, this is this part of my life. It's my job. It's my career. This is what I do on Monday through Friday. Here's where I go. On Saturday, you know, it's the lake. It's this. It's family time. I do that. And then, and then on this, it's, it's school or it's, you know, I take night classes. It's college. And before long, every piece of the pizza is taken up and we try our hardest because we're good Christians to squeeze in one of those slices. That's God time, right? I go to church on Sunday and, and, and I, and I try to spend time with God and his word and study. And so that's the piece of my life that I give to God. And really what I think is happening is we're missing the point when we compartmentalize God. I don't think God wants to be a slice of the pizza. I think God wants to be the sauce in the pizza. I think God wants to be the center of everything that we do. Whatever it is, if we're at school, we're talking about God. Like, we're, like the Bible says, when we're on the roadway, we're talking about God. When we're home, we're talking about God. And we're looking for moments, like teachable moments with our children, right? And you almost have to develop a hunter's eye for teachable moments with your kids, right? I don't know if any of you are hunters, but over time I've trained myself. I can see deer before Becca even sees them. Like we could be on the road and I'm like, oh, a couple of deer over there in the field. And my kids are like, what, where? I'm like, this side. Joshua's looking out the wrong window. I'm like, no, this side, there's a deer. And, and then they look and, and then we're past it. 
But I, I just, over time, I've developed, I can see them. I, I just, I know to like kind of look for them. I think as parents, we need to develop sort of a hunter's eye, right, for the things of God. To just be sensing opportunities to teach our children, to, to capitalize on a teachable moment. And as the Bible says, repeatable moments, right? There's things that I'm going to be repeating with my children until I'm exhausted and it hasn't even sunk in yet. So teachable moments, repeatable moments. And, and I think God wants to be the secret sauce in every part of our lives. And if you look at some of these great, like I remember going to a, a pastor's conference with Pastor Josh, our lead pastor, and I, I went with him and I, I wanted to see these people I've been watching on YouTube. Are they the real deal? Like, are they, are they exact, like, are they really that way in person too? And they are. I watch them on YouTube and then I go and meet them. And I'm like, man, they're the real deal. What is the secret? And they would just flat out tell you, the secret's God. God truly is the secret sauce, everybody. God being the center of everything you do makes all the difference. So there's that tension there. But we, when we recognize we put God in the center of every area of our life, we'll see here in this letter to Titus that there's three areas of that leadership development that equips us and empowers us to change our culture from within. And the first area that, that, that Paul highlights to Titus is to lead yourself well. You and I are the hardest people to lead. It's just, it's just, it's just true. I, let me give you just an example it's really hard to take our own advice. When I'm playing softball and a buddy of mine strikes out or he pops up and, and he knows and I know he could have hit that ball much better and he comes running off the field, he's frustrated, I'm usually quick to say, hey, don't worry about it, man. Shake it off. You'll get it next time. But it was the third out. We needed some runs and he's thinking, don't talk to me, bro. Like, I'm mad at myself right now. And it's so easy to say, hey, it's okay, man. It's okay. But when you're the one that does it. It's hard to take that own advice, isn't it? I, this hit home for us like big time just recently. As a matter of fact, last night we, uh, we had an episode in our home with my son Joshua. He's going to be six on Tuesday and he got a splinter in his foot playing outside. Again, repeatable moments. Put your shoes on. Huh? He got a splinter in his foot and maybe now he'll put his shoes on. But he's outside, he's running around, he gets a splinter and man, we worked and worked to get the splinter out. And you know what? The whole time, I mean, I'm trying to hold him down and I'm trying to like, you know, hold his foot still so we can pull this splinter out. Beck is, you know, pushing it together and he was his foot. He's like, hold your foot still, man. And you hold it still. You get the tweezers right on that splinter and he's like, ah, I'm like, dude, it's barely touching you. And he's like, my six-year-old, I could not hold him down. Like he went into Hulk mode last night, guys. And I could not even, I'm thinking, man, I need to get back in the gym. The six-year-old's manhandling me. I'm holding his foot down. Madeline comes in like, this is traumatizing and just leaves. Like, nope, I'm not going in there. And he's screaming and we, we finally get it out. But the whole time we're yelling at him, hold still, hold still. But when you're the one laying there and people are holding on to your foot and putting tweezers against your foot, you're like, no, I'm not holding still. And you're jerking your foot. It's so much easier, right, to, to give the advice. But when you're the one in the situation, we are hard to lead. Our, like we struggle to lead ourselves. But that, that's where it all starts. That's where God wants to start with everything. He, he says in John chapter 15, verse 5, remain in me and I will remain in you. And this, this scripture actually recently came to my mind as I was studying this. And, and I just feel like if you're struggling to lead yourself well, I would start here. I would start with being like a rose bush. 
And I know that's a kind of a weird example, especially coming from someone like me, because I'm not a gardener. I don't have like a green thumb. But we have this rose bush that when we moved into our house uh, the first spring, it was just full of roses. And we're thinking the people who lived there before us obviously took really good care of this bush. Because I mean, it just it was beautiful. I'm thinking, man, you know, people are going to come over and think, you know, we planted that bush and I know what I'm doing. I'm see our rose bush. Yeah. No, I didn't do that. But like, it just looked great. And then this this next spring, like just recently, I was telling Becca before I left, I'm saying, what's wrong with that bush? It just looks ugly. Like it's tall and thorn, it got thorns everywhere. And it, it, it's, it's definitely growing, but it's not producing fruit. It's just not. It's just ugly. I said, I'm going to rip that thing out. I kid you not, like less than a week later, maybe it was all the rain or maybe it heard me talking bad about it. I don't know. But it just, I mean, it's got like 10 to 15 beautiful blooms on it now. Just like that. I don't even know when it happened, but it's like, wow, that's awesome. It looked, I told Becca, it looks good now. She's like, yeah, I know. I said, I told that thing to grow and it grew. And, but the Bible says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce fruit. For apart from me, you can do no thing. And I'm telling you, that bush did not have to like, it didn't hear me talk bad about it and then was like, guys, we got to start producing. It just had to remain for the right time. And I think that's a good place to start for all of us. When we're learning to lead ourselves, we just need to stay connected, remain in Christ and allow him to remain in us. That's step one. And I'm telling you, if we stay connected to the spirit, get, get into the growth track, keep coming on Sunday morning, keep growing with us, keep walking, get into a connect group, remain in the presence of God and watch the fruit of the spirit blow up in your life. And, you, and people will be looking like, man, what's, what's different about you? I just remain in Christ. I'm just remaining in Christ. I'm just, I'm just doing what I created me to do, be in relationship with him. In the second area that we can be equipped to, to lead well is to lead your household well. Leading your household well. I was just having a conversation with my friend TJ yesterday about this, something that I, I've personally been working on. He's holding me accountable to is just leading my household well, just, just being a good father, a good husband, te- teaching my children the ways of the Lord. And, and in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, it says, An elder must live a blameless life. He must be fruitful, or sorry, must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. So I was like, okay, now I'm out. Just kidding. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Now, there's two words there. The first one freaked me out being honest with you. The second one brought me comfort. The first one said, live a blameless life. The word blameless there was like, wow, that stressed me out. I don't feel like I'm a blameless person, but the word blameless here does not mean perfection. See, none of us are perfect, right? It's only through Christ Jesus that we even have a shot, but none of us are perfect, but the word blameless just means without guilt. It means you're virtuous, full of integrity, so that even when you do mess up, because you will, you get the benefit of the doubt. No blame comes to you, even if it's your fault, because you get the benefit of the doubt. You're blameless. The word manager there brought me comfort then because, really, we are managing everything that God gave us. We need to just trust that God trusts us. He created the whole world and then gave it to us to manage it. He said, I want you to lead this well. And I'll I'll, I'll never forget, I heard a really good joke 
and I have to share it with you. But there's this scientist that has a conversation with God. And scientist comes to God and says, hey, God, we don't need you anymore. God says, oh, really? Scientist says, yeah, we can transplant hearts. We can, we can, we can make clones. We can do all these things. We, we're, we can make a man now. We don't need you anymore. And God says, okay, well, um, tell you what, uh, if you really think so, he's like, let's have a competition. And scientist says, sounds good. Let's have a competition. And he's like, the first one to make a man wins. God says, okay. He's like, I just have one question. Can I use dirt? Because I'm pretty good at making people out of dirt. And scientist says, sure. So ready, set, go. They each bent down. And scientists started to scoop up some dirt. And God said, ah, not so fast. Go get your own dirt. <laughs> Everything that we have is God's. And in fact, there's no starting point without God. Amen? So we are managing what God has given to us. Your children, your household, everything that God has entrusted. It's, it's a gift of God that he wants you to manage. And he's with you every step of the way. And the third way that we can be equipped to lead well is leading others well. Leading others well. And this is really where the rubber meets the road as Christians. If we're going to change our culture from within, we have to reach a point where we're ready to lead not just ourselves and not just our family, but we get unselfish with the gospel and we begin to spread it to others. Titus chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Now, I don't know where we got this idea that, that we are not to judge each other. Like you, you hear that a lot, like, don't judge me. I'm not going to judge you. You're not going to judge me. But honestly, if I have broccoli in my teeth, I want you to judge me. Especially if I'm about to go into a meeting or something. Or I'm, like, I want you to tell me that I have broccoli. If I'm having a moral failure, I want somebody to tell me. I want them to judge me, right? As Christians, we, we don't need to be scared of the word judgment. Because really, it's the judgment of each other that holds us to the standard that Christ has revealed for us. And you can do that in a life-giving way. Amen? So... Showing people who oppose the message that you believe and showing them where they're wrong, it's a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a tricky situation, but leading others requires that we fully participate in public life. We can't just go and run and hide and, and like I said, just stay in our homes and, and then just go to church and then come back. Like We need to live in society to help change the culture from within. We need to live in the public square. We need to go and be a part of our society, contribute, but, but live by a different value system so that we stand out so that we can lead others in the way they should go. And it, this means you need to, to love people, or at least like them, right? It doesn't mean you have to be like them in order to lead them. It just means you have to like them. When you approach somebody and they know that you hate their guts, they're not listening to a word you say. And everything you said, they're just going to laugh at. You have to approach every single person without an ounce of hatred in your heart and not hate anyone. In fact, if, if you have enemies, which Jesus tells us to love our enemies, if you have enemies, you will never lead them to Christ. And if they disagree with you, the Bible says that you can show them, it says that you can still teach them even if they oppose what you believe. And you can show them how they're wrong. And, and it's important to do this in a, a, a life-giving way. It, you have to basically, I feel like for me, it's, 
being more concerned about winning their heart than the argument. Make sense? I don't want to just win. I just don't want to just be right. I want God to get their heart. So if you have to walk away from an argument, if you have to just get off Facebook before you, before you comment that nasty comment, it's not worth it to give God a bad name and to spread hatred when a hypocrite is all about love. Somebody say amen. Our way of life includes an unwavering devotion to God that promotes generous grace. Everything that we do is grace because that's the God that we serve. If we're going to lead others, we need to lead them in a way that puts God on display. So how can we lead others? We want to lead ourselves. We want to lead our households. We want to lead others well. How can we specifically lead others? I want to spend a little bit of time here before we close on how we can put God on display. The first way is by serving your neighbor. There's an area of scripture where the disciples are talking about authority. They're talking about who's going to be the main dude. They're like, hey, Jesus, now that we're a part of your crew and this is really awesome, who's, who's going to be your right-hand man? Who's going to be your go-to guy? And so they're kind of like trying to figure it out, talking about authority, talking about what it's going to look like in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus just says, among you, in Matthew 20, verse 26, among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The best leader to ever walk the face of the earth was and still is Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate leader, and he leads well because he serves well. He served his neighbor. And, and you know what Jesus did? He connected with everyone that he served. He connected with them before he corrected them. He was relational before he reprimanded anybody. And that's exactly the model that I think we can follow. If we're going to change our culture from the inside out, we need to love others in a way that we can connect with them before we ever correct them. Amen? We need to add value to every single person around us. And really, we can't add value to someone that we hate. I know I'm still on my, my soapbox. I can't get off that for some reason. Maybe, maybe God wants to speak through me in a specific way. If there's hatred in our hearts, how can we spread love? The Bible says God is love. So we got to stop the hate speech. We got to stop getting in arguments over religion. People are fed up with religion, but they're not fed up with Jesus. No one is, I've had conversations with people who were pronounced agnostics and atheists, and they're like, you know what? Maybe there is a God. And I didn't talk about religion. You know who I talk about? I try to talk about Jesus every chance I get. Even if it's just, hey, what do you think about Jesus? From an agnostic standpoint, look, what do you think about Jesus? Who was he? What did he do? Was he a lunatic or was he actually God? Because if he was God, you and me better get our acts together, right? The second way... We can lead others as setting the example. This is incredibly important when it comes to being a father. I, I see my children do what I what they see me do more than they do what they hear me say. Like my actions speak louder than my words. And so 
setting the example when we're leading others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So what truly stands out in our society is someone who's willing to do the right thing the right way because it's the right thing to do. Even if it's going to be more difficult, even if it's going to be, it's going to make you uncomfortable, it's going to, it's going to create, it may even make you look stupid. People are thinking, man, just take the shortcut, just take the shortcut. But setting the example and being a quality leader is what points people to Jesus Christ. It really does. And I'll tell you what, my dad was a perfect example in this way. With his clients and his job, he would always go the extra mile to do things the right way, to honor people. Because really, the job doesn't matter as much as the person you're doing it for. And I'm telling you what, people will, will want you to do work for them more often if you do things the right way rather than if you take shortcuts. Everybody knows that, right? And so setting the example is what God is calling us to do when we lead others. I think we can leave here today and just begin to light up the world with our good deeds. Light up the world by serving people and, and, and by loving them. The third way that we can lead others is sharing Christ with them. And ultimately, sharing Christ is the most important step of it all. Because what good is it if they're never introduced to the Savior of their soul? And everything that we've done, everything that we've talked about, every quality of a leader will eventually come to this opportunity where we can share Christ with those that we're leading. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I know for a fact you will have opportunities to share Christ in your leading. As you lead others, there's going to be an opportunity for you to share Christ. I want to challenge you this morning to be ready to explain the hope that's within you. Truth of the matter is, our nation is on a spiritual decline. But I want you to know something. There's at least 10 countries that Christianity is growing faster than the population. Followers of Jesus Christ are the light of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. Showing Christ in us is the hope of the world. And though our nation seems like Crete right now, I think this is exactly the place where God's ready to start an awakening and a revival. Because again, I don't think anyone's fed up with religion. I think people are open to the concept of a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. There's a great opportunity before us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. God wants a relationship with every human being. Every human being. And the bottom line is this, guys. We can't share what we don't have. We can't share someone we don't know. 
It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can receive his spirit and become empowered to do good works and equipped to lead well. Would you stand with me? I know that God is not finished with the work that he started in this church. And in your personal walk with God, he is not finished with where he wants to take you, who he wants to introduce you to so that you can introduce them to him. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd just like to pray two prayers. The first prayer I want to pray is for those of us who are not yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you want to lead yourself well. You've been trying to lead your family and you've been trying to lead others. But it hasn't quite worked. You haven't quite gained traction. But in this moment, God's saying to you, first, I want to lead you. If you allow me to lead you, you can step into your destiny. You can step into your destiny and be exactly who I created you to be. And he's calling you by name right now. If you feel his spirit upon you, I just want you to pray as I pray for you. Father, I commit my life to you. I give my heart to you. I'm ready to serve you. I make you the Lord of my life. God, I acknowledge my sin is before me. I failed as a human. But you are God and you are Savior. And God, right now I identify with your death, burial, and resurrection. As my flesh dies, my spirit comes to life. And I am reborn in this moment in Jesus' name. God, I'm ready to walk out of here and light up the world with your goodness. In Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, Father, I pray that your spirit would be upon us, God, as we leave here, ready to change our culture from within, God. Let us be the generation that starts an awakening. Let it start in this church. Let it start in Tuscarawas County. We're already seeing your handiwork, God. We're already seeing your kingdom advance, God. We're ready to be the church. We're ready to make a difference and let our light shine. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.